As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system. I found that it helps people relax and can support restful sleep, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences, which is now proud to introduce the Plus CBD Relief line of soft gels. Plus CBD Relief is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD Relief is doctor-formulated with recovery-supporting ingredients, including CBD, CBDA, and Levagen plus PEA. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. And with a 90-day satisfaction guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's Relief Soft Gels. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Uh, This is a much-anticipated podcast for me because today we're going to talk about a technology that I've been fascinated with, and we're going to talk to an expert on cardiovascular imaging. He's Dr. James Min. He's a former professor of radiology and medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College and the director of the Dalio Institute of Cardiovascular Imaging at New York Presbyterian. He's a board-certified cardiologist, and his Clinical focus is on cardiovascular disease prevention and cardiovascular imaging. So we're going to talk about uh, the calcium scoring, uh, the current scans that are available, and also an exciting new innovation. Uh, Dr. Min has published more than 500 peer-reviewed manuscripts. Uh, He has also served as principal investigator in numerous landmark multi-center clinical trials, Uh, He's received numerous awards and distinctions, including recently being inducted in the American Society of Clinical Investigation and the Academy of Radiology Research. He received his BA from the University of Chicago and his medical degree from Temple University Medical School and obtained his uh, residency and cardiovascular medicine fellowship at the University of Chicago Hospitals. So, Dr. Min, it's a pleasure having you uh, as a guest on today's Intelligent Medicine. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Dr. Hoffman, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay. So, uh, you know, we often talk on intelligent medicine about uh, the calcium score, the Agatson score. Uh, interestingly, uh, the author of the South Beach Diet, and uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, he revolutionized our approach to cardiovascular disease by uh, describing a method by which we could determine uh, whether people had plaque, which could pose a risk in terms of cardiovascular disease, heart attack, and stroke, uh, and also uh, could also, in some cases, vindicate people because people with high cholesterol, they're routinely put on statins. Sometimes they don't have a lot of plaque, so it's a great differentiator. Uh, The company that you're involved with, which is called Clearly, and it's spelled C-L-E-E-R-L-Y. You can get information about them at clearly.com. Uh, they've taken it a step further. So, so give us a little background on uh, how you got involved with us. Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, I can take. So, I, I did cardiology fellowship at the University of Chicago, as uh, you had mentioned, and 
I moved to New York City and spent about 15 years working at Cornell Medical College and New York Presbyterian Hospital. And it was really like at the time I was in Chicago that I was introduced to this non-invasive imaging technique called uh, a coronary CT angiogram. It's like that 64 slice CT scanner that people have sometimes referred to, but now we have like 640 slice CT scanners and, and so on. Um, I mean, I had my research interests are really in coronary heart disease and heart attack prevention. And so this tool was like a very um, eye-opening tool because it allowed us for the first time to directly visualize and comprehensively evaluate heart disease or the atherosclerosis or the plaque buildup within the walls of the vessels in a way that had never been able to be done before. So my plan had been to go into interventional cardiology, given my research interest in coronary heart disease, uh, but I ended up switching over to imaging because I felt that this tool would fundamentally change our understanding of the way we view heart disease. And fast forward 17 years, like I think that it has, like we, it was through a series of large scale trials that we really uh, learned a lot about the vascular biology. Specifically, uh, sort of to your point about this calcium score that we, uh, that you talked about, like we've had that tool. It's been a robust tool that's been an additive and value added tool in the cardiologist armamentarium to really help better understand who is diseased and who is not and has really taken a large step forward from you know, what we had traditionally done, which is relied solely on indirect surrogate markers of heart disease, such as cholesterol and things like that. Um, I think what we learned out of the coronary CT angiogram and versus the coronary artery calcium score, it's sort of like looking at the difference between a color TV and a black and white TV. Mm-hmm. The calcium score um, specifically looks at a specific type of plaque, the calci- calcified plaque, and what the coronary CT angiogram does is it looks at the whole entire gamut um, of different types of plaque. So heart disease, like cancer, for example, is many different types of disease. It's not just a single disease entity, and it's a very dynamic process that changes over time. And what we found was actually in our research was that the goal is not to prevent calcium, but to actually take the non-calcified plaque and to convert it and transform it into calcium um, as a mechanism of stabilization. So it's, I think this is like, um, you know, version 2.0, uh, where we've taken another very, very large step forward in understanding heart disease and how we can leverage non-invasive tools to better understand risk and to understand and be able to track the success of our therapies or in the case of failures to have informed knowledge about how we want to intensify our, our therapies in order to really stabilize patients and prevent heart attacks. This reminds me a little bit, uh, and this may date me, there was once a movie called Fantastic Voyage where they uh, they came up with a technology to shrink scientists and put them in a little submarine so that they could travel around inside the body. And I was fascinated as a kid uh, seeing that movie because you could literally see inside the body. And now we have various ways of doing that. We have uh, endoscopes to uh, look from above and look from below, colonoscopy and various types of scopes. Uh, This isn't a scope because you're not actually uh, looking with your eye, but it does provide you with a very detailed map of the interior of the coronary arteries. And uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, I've heard it said as a critique of the old-fashioned tests, the tests that we now mostly rely on, the calcium scoring test, that, you know, I'll sometimes speak to doctors and say, well, you know, I'm not sure this patient needs to be on a statin because they have, they have no plaque or they may have a minimal score. And they'll say, yeah, but 
all you're seeing is the calcium. You're not seeing, that's the hard plaque. You're not seeing the soft plaque. So could you give us a little primer on uh, the difference between hard plaque and soft plaque? Yeah, it's a really good question. Like the, so what we used to explain to the patients was this, that, you know, you can think of sort of the, the, the plaques or the, the, the atherosclerotic lesions. Um, that is heart disease, right? So that's the plaques that are building up silently within the walls of the heart arteries over many, many decades. Um, we don't know about it because they don't cause us any symptoms, but that's the problem. Um, because more than half the people who will suffer heart attacks or sudden death from heart attacks actually never experience any symptoms. And and I think we all know people like that, somebody who went out for a run and never came back or somebody who went to sleep and never woke up. And unfortunately and tragically, that is the typical presentation of acute myocardial infarction or heart attack is that you feel fine one day and then you are very, very sick post-heart attack the next day. I'm thinking so of Tim Russert, from- you know, sort of a tragic case of uh, the guy uh, who was so familiar to us from, uh, you know, Sunday mornings, uh, Meet the Press. Uh, and, you know, without seemingly any warning, uh, he was suddenly gone with a massive heart attack. Yeah. And tragically, he had a normal stress test like mm-hmm. a month before his death. And so having a normal stress test doesn't give you a bill of health that you won't have a heart attack. But what we do know is you cannot have a heart attack without heart disease or plaque. And what we also recognize is that for the last 70 years, heart doctors have never directly visualized or measured heart disease, right? We're very good. We're very, very good at looking at strong indirect correlates or surrogates of heart disease, such as cholesterol or such as um, stress test findings. But we, we've never actually directly visualized the disease itself. And to your point, Dr. Hoffman, it's many different kinds of disease. And so the calcium, again, was a step forward from what we had because it really depicted the, t- uh, the type of plaque, the calcified plaque. But what we've learned from a series of large-scale clinical trials performed some by our group when I was at Cornell and some by others um, is that it really, when you look at the plaque, it's a continuum. It's not a dichotomy of is it a non-calcified or a calcified plaque, mm-hmm. but the non-calcified plaques, which are um, seen on the coronary CT non-invasive angiogram, um, they, there's different levels of, of uh, the non-calcified plaques are dark on a CT scan, but there's different levels of dark. Some of them are really black, some of them are gray, some of them are lighter gray, and then even within the calcified plaque, some of them are sort of white, and some of them are brighter white, and some of them are really bright white. And so what we recognize is that it's a continuum, and that continuum of, of grayscale actually appears to have a continuum of risk, that the darker the plaque or the more so sort of cholesterol-fatty-ridden uh, plaques that there are, they actually represent the strongest predictors of future heart attack risk. And then the really, really bright plaques, the highly dense calcified plaques, they actually associate with a lower risk mm-hmm. of heart attacks. And then what, what we've also observed in the clinical trials is that if you do anything beneficial for patients, if they go on a healthy diet or if they go and improve their, increase their physical activity or you put them on, um, sort of beneficial medications such as statins or PCSK9 inhibitors and others, that what you do is you don't generally regress the plaque. It doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. Once yeah, it's that, there, I've seen it tends that. I'm, to be there. Yeah, excuse me. What I've, a lot of patients say, well, I want to repeat the test to see if my plaque's going away. And I say, look, don't, don't bother because regardless of what you're doing, the, 
the plaque will remain and it may get worse and that might freak you out, but you might even be better off. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like all the beneficial things that we've observed in the scientific literature that we do for patients, they turn dark plaques bright. And so if you've got a calcium um, uh, plaque, then that calcium might actually increase over time, and that is associated with stabilization rather than mm-hmm. disease worsening. So fundamentally, the problem with the calcium score is that similar to a black and white TV, it's sort of a legacy tool because it doesn't allow us to look at the most malignant forms of atherosclerosis, which are the dark, non-calcified plaques that are not visualized on the calcium score. And then to your point, the second major limitation of using calcium scoring is that you can't actually track therapeutic success. If your calcium score goes up, Mm -hmm. you don't know if that's because somebody's getting worse and forming more disease, Mm -hmm. or you, or is it because they're actually, um, they're actually responding favorably to your therapy. And because of that, the non-calcified plaques are getting converted to calcium. The calcium score goes up. So it's either a sign of you getting better or you getting worse. And so it tends not to be a very useful tool to track disease, even as a one-time tool, right? It's not that useful. Mm -hmm. If I tell you somebody has a calcium score of 300 and I ask the question, is that patient sick? I think most people would say, yes, that patient's absolutely sick. And if I said, well, what if I told you that this patient had been taking a statin for a few years or had run six or seven marathons over the last 10 years? Like what we know is exercise and medications increase the calcium score. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's a, it, it was a big step forward in the 1980s when we, when it was first came out. But now that we have this more refined tool that allows us to look at the malignant phenotypes of atherosclerosis, I think that this is, is, is where the field is going. So is it theoretically possible for on the old-fashioned test, the EBT heart scan or the CT calcium scoring, for someone to have a a zero score or maybe a minimal single-digit score but still be at risk? And conversely, is it possible for people to have a score that's in the hundreds but actually have very good flow dynamics and, and, you know, very stable plaque with low risk of a heart attack or stroke? Yes, absolutely. Like, so... Like, let's take the the uh, example of somebody with a calcium score of zero. Um, mm-hmm. So you do a calcium score, and they there's no evident disease at all. Um, there can be a tremendous, tremendous amount of non-calcified plaque hmm. uh, that's just simply not visualized by that scan. Mm-hmm. And then specifically, I think, or simplistically, rather, I think you can think of it as an age-dependent phenomenon. As we get older and older, um, coronary artery calcium, the most highly correlative variable to it is age. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about somebody who's not that old um, and they have a calcium score of zero, you actually don't know because most plaque starts as non-calcified and then converts to calcium over time. So the age dependence of it is something that is often lost. People are always looking for some sort of turnkey solution that applies to everybody. But what the non-invasive coronary CT scan allows you to do is really personalize the medicine rather than trying to make blanket statements that, you know, that are um, about everybody because it actually doesn't work that way. Like we are all individuals with different types of heart disease. And so we should treat them in an individualized and, and personalized fashion. And so that's the person with a calcium score of zero. And then what about a person with a calcium score that's high? I think that, you know, that sort of made up example that I just used of the multiple marathoner who takes statins, like that's definitely, you know, a a hypothetical possibility. But I can just tell you even one of my 
patients in the past like came in and had a calcium score and it was something like 2000. I mean, mm. just wow. hugely elevated. Mm-hmm. And so then we performed a uh, non-invasive coronary CT scan on him and turns out he didn't have any non-calcified plaque at all. And this was way back when, probably 13, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, we're doing the studies right now, the clinical outcome studies. So I don't know for certain, but what our hypothesis is, is that that plaque is stable. And you know what? 12, 13 years later, he's doing just fine. And so there's something about the calcium that we've seen in the observational scientific studies is that it is associated with a lower risk of heart attack. And and that actually is the goal, is to get the non-calcified plaques to transform into mm-hmm. calcified plaques over time. To, to stabilize the plaque. It's a little bit like the plaque is kind of like spackle for damaged endothelial wall of the artery. And it's sort of the body's way of uh, responding to a wound, essentially what is a wound. That's exactly right. Like, I, I mean, I give two quick analogies, but one of them is like, if you look at your skin and you see a sunspot, like that's where cancer risk used to be. Um, so that's what the calcium is. It's a sunspot within the coronary arteries. And the way that we can create it into a sunspot is really to to use the medications and the, the diets and the exercise and the physical activity to really transform the morphologies of these plaques. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you're completely right. Well, you know, the argument has been made, you know, why bother to do all this testing? Because, uh, you know, a lot of doctors say, look, cholesterol is a risk factor. And so anybody with a cholesterol above a certain level, uh, you know, or if they fit the profile, you know, you're a middle-aged male and maybe you're a little uh, tubby, you know, you got to waist circumference of 37 inches and, uh, you know, a little bit of pot belly, uh, go for it. Just go on a statin. You know, let, you know don't bother doing these tests because they just add expense and may confuse the issue. Yeah, I think that um, I'll, I'll say a couple of things to that. I think that the um, if I'll make an absurd analogy, like mm-hmm. if you asked a woman to go see a uh, doctor for breast cancer and that doctor says yep i'm a breast cancer doctor but i i never directly visualize breast cancer that nobody would go to that doctor right but that's mm-hmm. essentially what we're asking people to do here is like hey we're we're heart doctors but we're going to look at indirect markers of heart disease rather than the disease itself mm-hmm. the problem with that is it's, in, it's ineffective like if you look at cholesterol which is the dominant that certainly coronary heart disease is a cholesterol based phenomenon uh, but it's a plaque-based cholesterol phenomenon, mm-hmm. not a serum cholesterol-based phenomenon. So you can have normal cholesterol, but significantly dangerous plaques embedded within your coronary arteries. And that actually represents the majority. About 70% of the people who show up with their first heart attack have normal cholesterol levels. And then in addition to that, if somebody came in with an elevated cholesterol level and we treat it with, say, a statin medication, what we do is we reduce the risk by about, we reduce the cholesterol and we reduce the risk of heart attack by about 20, 25%. That means there's an 80% residual risk even after you've lowered the cholesterol because the cholesterol is not a perfect biomarker Mm -hmm. of who retains this kind of residual risk. And so then just going back to sort of the mechanism of, of heart attacks. Like if you say, well, how does a heart attack occur? Well, it, it, it has a plaque that has a thin cap on it and that thin cap ruptures and all this cholesterol ridden fatty stuff goes into the bloodstream and causes a blood clot that occludes the artery. So if you think about why calcium seems to be a lower risk phenomenon, it's because 
plaque rupture, right? Rupture of that cap is the mechanism of a heart attack. Rocks don't rupture. And so calcium is essentially just a rock. And so that's the body's way of really stabilizing things. And so, like, I think that if we think about that, then we say, okay, well, then should we be looking for this for early diagnosis and treatment and cardiovascular disease prevention? I think we have to, because if you look at the epidemiology of heart attacks, almost 60% of the people will never have a symptom before their event. And the biomarkers aren't identifying the patients who are at risk. And the biomarkers aren't even identifying the people who retain residual risk after treatment. Mm -hmm. So how else can you do it without direct visualization of disease? Right. I mean, you can look at it six ways to Sunday. You can look at cholesterol and HDL and triglycerides, and you can even look at uh, hemoglobin A1C and insulin and LP little a and homocysteine and apolipoprotein A and B, and you can fractionate the LDLs. But ultimately, you have to look at the interior of the uh, arteries to see if uh, all those factors add up to risk, right? I think that's exactly... I mean, you just raised a, an extremely important point. Like, for uh, for certain... Uh, disease states that are a single somatic genetic mutation, yeah, I think that you can probably utilize some biomarkers to try to determine whether or not patients are diseased or not. Coronary heart disease, on the other hand, is an extremely polyfactorial disease, right? Mm -hmm. And what I tell people is it's at least a, a genetically inclined situational inflammatory atherothrombotic process. So let's unpack all of that. You're born with your genes. They contribute to some degree. The situation matters. You hear about these people trying to shovel heavy snow and having yeah. heart attacks there or getting mad and yelling at their spouse and having a heart attack there. Even like when a, a popular soccer team in Spain loses, you see heart attacks go up that day because yes. it's a situational thing. It's also an inflammatory thing, right, where we know that there's systemic and local inflammation. It's athro, which means it's atherosclerotic or plaque-related, and it's also thrombotic, which is the blood clotting. Um, so there's a blood clotting disorder that occurs as a result of it. There's so many different contributions to coronary heart disease that we can't isolate a single, like you said, LP little A or apolipoprotein B. And what the, the non-invasive CT angiogram allows you to do is to comprehensively look across the entire coronary vascular bed and phenotype uh, the vessels. That means look at the atherosclerotic burden and the type of plaque which represents the lifelong exposure of every known and unknown risk factor in a single metric that can be followed and treated therapeutically. So I think that unlike certain, you know, autosomal dominant disorders that genetics plays 100% a role mm -hmm. or others like cancers that have a somatic mutation that can be targeted from a biomarker, this one is so polyfactorial in nature that disease phenotype representing the culmination of all of those risk factor exposures over the lifetime will be the most successful way to track this disease, notwithstanding it's the actual disease rather than an indirect biomarker. Right. And, and for phenotype is the word we use in medicine for what's the actual appearance you know like if you're talking about a person who is uh, overweight they have a, a obese phenotype uh, and so we're talking about the phenotype the actual appearance of the interior of the coronary arteries dr min that's a beautiful and comprehensive uh, explanation of, of cardiovascular risk uh in part two 
uh, which we're coming up with, uh, I want to let our listeners know what the Clearly test entails. Uh, we want to know what its uh, availability is. Uh, can any doctor uh, order it? Uh, and is it available uh, throughout the United States, or is it still uh, limited in its availability? Um, we um, will return in, in part two. Our guest, Dr. James Min, uh, clearly.com is a place where you can find out about the Clearly Test. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.